Welcome to the 41st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Michelle and Joe Grancy Bowman perform a bit of a balancing act on the land they farm in East Central Minnesota. 40 acres of the 200-acre farm they manage for a local family is within the city limits of the town of Belle Plaine, a fast-growing community south of the Twin Cities. This has brought up some unique land management challenges for Joe and Michelle. The young couple, they're in their mid-30s, are recent graduates of the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings Program, an initiative that offers training in low-cost, sustainable methods of farming. The Grancy Bowmans have launched a poultry and egg raising business on the farm they live on. They've also partnered with another farming couple in a community-supported agriculture vegetable production business and are working with yet another farmer in a beef grazing arrangement. Michelle and Joe don't own the land. Rather, they're taking care of it for a family that would like to see it stay rural. That's a challenge in a community that's experiencing as much sprawling development as Belle Plain, and it's especially challenging when a section of your farm is already part of that fast-growing community. That's why the Grancy Bowmans are taking special care to be good neighbors while educating the non-farm residents in the area about the importance of having food raised locally in an environmentally sustainable manner. They host school groups, are involved in local community planning, and are helping the landowners make the farm into an environmental retreat center. But just as importantly, they are raising food on the land and selling it directly to consumers in the area. Many of those customers visit the farm on a regular basis to get that food. The way this young farming couple sees it, if people can view this farm as a nutritional, environmental, and even cultural asset, then a kind of constituency will be created within the community. A constituency that will support efforts to keep the land from becoming yet another subdivision or parking lot. On a recent day in early fall, Michelle and Joe gave me a tour of this city farm and talked about their strategy for keeping it a thriving operation long into the future. So, Joe and Michelle, we're sitting here... uh uh, on this farm and we can look right across the front yard here and I don't know a hundred yards away we've got pretty significant development and it's kind of ominous to to look at it there it's it's right there on the horizon and you guys had talked a little bit earlier about that that can be a threat but you've you've kind of come to a conclusion that there's maybe ways of working with that rather than fighting it directly and and uh, uh, I guess trying to make the farm into an asset for the community and i know that you're also involved with uh, some of the planning that's going on in the community i wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how you guys have have some of the things you're doing uh, to maybe ensure the future of this farm right here in this real fast growing area one of the things that that makes the the situation unique is that uh, because the farm has been here before the city the city's been kind of growing this direction and so it's it's been seen as a farm but not necessarily seen as part of the the future of the city. And so what we've been looking at is is how do you keep that relationship going to value the farm as part of a community? And when you have city growing around it, how does it become part of the city? How does that relationship work? And and then once you try to figure out a value for that, how do you keep that value in, intrinsic to future generations? And so one of the things that we've really tried to do initially is is engaging 
multiple levels of the community and and being a, f- a neighbor friendly farm really is important um the the cows not being in the back of someone's backyard the day that they're having a graduation party in their backyard yeah it, it, it may seem like a small thing in the beginning but that's something that it's it becomes folklore is oh those guys have that farm and da 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 eventually you have a few stories that start to go around that that bend the the perspective of the farm in a negative direction and so we've been really really careful about making sure that we're constantly looking at how we can build relationships with the neighbors and in the beginning there may have been situations where you know the kid had his his motorbike cruising through the hayfield and you know how do you build that relationship when you say you can't really do that but build it in a way that that starts to get them to see you know there's a liability factor that we're responsible for you know taking care of this farm and, and those kind of things so in immediate neighbors it's it's sometimes challenging to see the farm isn't just a place where they go dump something and and there's a there's a neighborly aspect of well it's a field what does that matter and really sort of combining a perspective of yeah it is a farm but also it's a farm that we have to mow our yard just like you do and and so um there's there's certain aspects that go on there but in looking at the 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 bigger perspectives one of the levels that we've started working with was uh within a mile of the the farmstead um are two elementaries and then there's the junior high and eventually a future high school will be adjacent as well and that kind of development aspect really is important to look at how do we build that relationship with the school how do we get kids to be interested in this because eventually 15 years down the road they're going to be the community members that came out here and and you know got to pet the horses and and got to watch uh, joe get attacked by the chicken the rooster you know there's there's things like that that they'll remember but also that they came out here and they did some stream bank studying or um, got to do some kind of artwork project. So there's, there's a range of activities that we've been engaging, taking you know, baby chicks into the school, and, and the teachers get very excited about that. And the parents that are uh, sometimes on some of the, the tours that the kids take, they get to see that also and take that back with them and see that, well, there's this farm that's out there and they're doing more than just raising cattle or, or soybeans or corn. They're really trying to engage the community on a different level. And so we've been involved in different levels of, of community government as well and, and looking at how planning and zoning uh, guides the, the future visioning of the community and how they're going to develop the area. We want to be a part of that conversation because it's very important because the zoning of the farm could very quickly shift away from agricultural uses altogether and we become a non-conforming use. And then at that point you really have a challenge of, in, in a housing situation, that you have to have conforming use to be able to put on a garage but if you want to put in a greenhouse or something like that and it's it's a residential area no longer uh, agricultural use then every every choice you make has to get a permit or a variance to be able to, to act and at that stage then it becomes very challenging to continue the farming so it's really important to 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 look at how to build those relationships with the community well michelle i was just you had mentioned earlier you grew up in this community then you left for a while and it was quite a shock for you to come back and see how much growth had occurred and then to hear about how much growth is planned for the area and uh you uh i guess that must give you maybe even a little bit more of an incentive to try to uh put in place something that is not just going to be another generic subdivision you know so that your community still has that unique nature you had talked about 
it's got a real interesting history, real interesting environment here on the, in the Minnesota River Valley. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about how about some of those unique features and how, what you guys how you guys feel like maybe you can contribute to keeping some of those features around. I did grow up um, here in Belle Plaine, actually just, well, less than a mile from here. And one of the beautiful aspects of Belle Plaine is that it is a, it has a rural heritage to it. it Belle Plaine itself means beautiful prairie. Um, so the prairies, this is kind of where the prairies and the woods and the rivers um, all meet or met. And we're in the Minnesota River Valley here. There's a a creek on the property that actually drops into the Minnesota River um, less than a mile off the property. And uh, the farm hosts one of the rare um, uh, plant species that that indicates that it's uh, one of the few remnant um, prairies in Belle Plaine. It's one of two remnant prairies in Belle Plaine. Um, so when coming back to Belle Plaine and growing up here, um, there there's a huge sense of community. Uh, there's a huge sense of family. Um, and, you know, growing up, half half my class probably was uh, farm kids. You know, there's half of us town kids, half farm kids. Um, now, when I went into the classrooms the last couple of years and would ask a kindergarten class, how many of you live on the farm? There might be two kids out of a class of 30 that raise their hands. Um, so farming uh, is not as much of an economic uh, resource for a lot of a lot of um, people in this town. Yet, the farm and farming is still an important aspect of rural life. And we've had a number of neighbors, you know, that I'll get talking to at a garage sale or at a community event, and they'll say, "Oh, are you the folks that live there with those beautiful chickens?" <laughs> or, "Yeah, we like to come down and and see the horses." And um, this town has grown. It's gone from, when I left, it was about 3,000 people. It's doubled in size over the last 15 years. Um, predictions have Belle Plaine looking anywhere from ten to 30,000 people by 2030, um, which is an entirely new city. I mean, the, the aspect of it is, is just gigantic. And so um, sitting here on the farm, looking across the fields, seeing the houses, uh, really is an opportunity. It's a very, we're kind of at a pinnacle point for opportunity um, while Belle Plaine is going through some growing pains as well, trying to say, okay, how are we going to look as a big city compared to how we look as a small city? And we we like to um, put forth the idea that it can still, no matter what the size of Belle Plaine, um, there's still the aspects of rural life that are really important to this community and important to us and that we can offer that here on this farm, this historic farm that's been in the Divine family for over 100 years, could be part of this community for the next hundreds of years as long as we're able to work together and look at how to how to develop the farm in a way that's really neighbor-friendly, that provides a local food source for people in in this community, um, and that's been part of the aspect of how we've partnered with another farm um, family around developing a, a community-supported agriculture, a CSA, um, vegetable production here, worked with another fa farm family on bringing out um, cows to pasture again, um, because pasturing has been a part of this this rich history for 
over a hundred years, and um, that we're working to to transfer you know corn and soybean land into pasture land and be able to develop the poultry market and and um, eggs and and all the various aspects of healthy, local, organically grown food sources so that we really, truly can be an asset for the community, both in education and as a food source, um, rather than just um, future development site. I think, I think that's what, interesting what you, the, the um, issue you brought up of food because I've seen other examples of um, communities trying to preserve a little piece of history, so to speak, on the edges there of development where they maybe it's a farm and they, they kind of make it into a museum-type farm situation. But you seem to have a, a unique situation here, a unique opportunity where you're integrating the environmental aspect and, and trying to show that as an asset with food production, active food production, where people are paying for that food and being fed. And, and I think that is a, maybe has a chance of being a little bit more sustainable in the long term financially as well as kind of uh, putting in a whole other layer of asset building. That, I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about that, how that's been a real conscious effort. I think the, uh, the intersection between um, the rural and urban area is, is crucial because I mean, the, the, the further you get from the farm and the rural area and further into urban areas, the less people have that, that contact with natural systems. And whether it's a woods, whether it's a creek, river, or a pasture, um, there's something that's lost there. And you know, as you look at Minnesota, we really have a huge volume of like bike trails and, and trails that go through around cities and things like that. But in these subdivisions that are in the outer rings outside of the, the St. Paul and, and Minneapolis area, they're really starting to look at how is that relationship with the natural areas? Do they provide green spaces? And so if the farm maintains some kind of continuity with a green space kind of perspective, how do you bring people out to get that engagement with uh, natural ecological systems and, and be able to see rivers and trees and things like that as, as a value to a community rather than just soccer fields. But also that when you have that, that the active farming aspect, people are able to see you know, the carrot actually grows in the ground. And, 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 and for inner, inner city areas, we've, we've seen in some programs that we've worked with that kids don't know that. And so, you know, the, the gardening programs that go on that are a huge value to, to the educational component and the exposure are, are fantastic. But when you are able to create that intersection between the farm and the rural area and bringing that to the urban area and providing that context of here's here's a place that you know maybe a bike path does go by the farm and maybe people do get to go see the cows or the horses or the sheep out there in the pasture and the chickens running around digging and scratching and pecking and, and doing what chickens do it provides an exposure component but also the fact that this is also bringing um a financial aspect to the local community it's dollars within the community that stay within the community and that's an important component you know, on the economics end as well as the ecological end that for long-term sustainability, if if the farm isn't providing something as a value to the community, then it, it will fall by the wayside and will become developed. So the, the community has to see it in a context that they really appreciate it and want it to stay, and then they will guide what um, city planners are, are, are wanting to do with the city um, and, and maintain this as a farm and, and keep it. Another um, component of the 
kind of local food movement that's happening across the country, um, if not across the world, is that uh, we're at a time in which energy needs are so great. And there are so many issues around energy, around global warming. And um, it's it's really important for us all to look at and see where our own impact um, on energy or where our own needs are being met through the use of transportation. I mean, the the average food product travels 1,500 miles. Now, whether it's an aspect of um, not wanting to use all the fossil fuels or just wanting the freshest food possible, a local food economy really provides that. It's amazing to taste a fresh tomato and to recognize that a tomato is not a tomato is not a tomato, that there's all these varieties, all these different tastes within just that one tomato, you know, that one species. And similarly, to have fresh meat, to have fresh turkey, to have fresh chicken, knowing that it was raised in a way that was um, conscious and caring for that animal, that the nutritional level is going to be high, that there aren't lots of chemicals, and that it didn't have to transport over thousands of miles is such a benefit for the health of ourselves and the health of the planet um, that is just is fabulous to be able to, to offer that and to be working on how do we look... Um, you know, like you said, Brian, how how does it work that we then utilize animals to replicate natural systems or to enhance the natural systems so that we're building the soil, so that we're increasing biodiversity, so that we're providing a, a community um, within the soil all the way up to the the size of all the animals and the species here. And I guess in the in the long run, the important thing that we i mean if we wanted to really be just farmers and go be out on a farm and and really have that that natural feeling out in the country um that would have been one avenue but i think because we're a little more interested in that engagement of the urban life and and the, the farm this opportunity that we have um provides us with that chance to really look at how do we develop communities how does long-term activity and land use planning get get to the point of where we preserve farm activity and not push it away from the rural areas and and really in and bring it closer to the urban areas um and and reduce that distance that people have to travel to go to a farm um cedar summit's an easy example they're going to be eventually um surrounded in the new prague area by development and they've created a community of people that that come to their their facility and see products, they see animals, and they're they're coming there. There's plenty of people that, that bicycle by that place, so there's a lot of already existing uh, community support for a place like that. The, the The question is, when you look at development, it's not necessarily that development has to be a bad thing. And the the question is, you know, growth is going to happen. It's, it's just a bigger question of what is it that you want to grow, and how do you want to grow it? And so, looking at how we really develop. Um, that relationship between residential and and farming life could be a, a key ingredient is really looking at, at the border between the two areas and dissolving that border. Farm Beginnings classes meet each fall and run through the winter. For more on Farm Beginnings, see www.farmbeginnings.org. That's 
farmbeginnings.org. Or you can also call 507-523-3366. That's area code 507-523-3366. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.